The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Ms. Sharon Carmody, my name is Perry Mason. I'm attorney for a friend of yours, Duke Marinek. Duke? Um, is he in some kind of trouble? I think you know what kind of trouble he's in, don't you, Miss Carmody? Why should I know? I haven't seen Duke for, well, let's see, it's been, it's been days. That all you have to say? What more should I say? Miss Carmody, I appreciate why you're doing this, but you're mistaken. Lies can't help him. Lies? What lies? I haven't told you anything. Often the thing we should say and don't can be more of a falsehood than an out-and-out lie. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 31st, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Rights listener Andrew B. Hey Bob, I really enjoyed your coverage of the PPC. I was wondering how you cope with not feeling totally demoralized after so many repeated examples where the electorate shows little sympathy and support for quote-unquote our ideas. Well, I will answer that question today. Right after, we remind you that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, and follow us on SoundCloud, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archive broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support and in so doing, become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism. Now, when Andrew spoke of the little sympathy and support for quote-unquote our ideas, he was, of course, referring primarily to the electoral results of the People's Party of Canada in the October 21st federal election and to the similar electoral results experienced by the Freedom Party of Ontario during past provincial elections in that province. But let me begin with this. Now, for a party that was supposedly wiped off the political map in the last election, it's astounding how much hatred and attention the People's Party of Canada and Maxime Bernier have had focused on them after the election, to say nothing of what happened before. Listen to this putrid opening paragraph of an opinion piece by Heather Malick passing itself as journalistic commentary from the pages of the Toronto Star on October 23rd. Quote, Farewell then, Maxime Bernier, preening creep of the People's Party, who thought himself brave for attacking immigrants and a teenage girl who pointed out that the planet was getting all sweaty. What a relief. What a delivery from the anxiety of the rest of the Western nations. Canada turned its back on populism. I underestimated my fellow Canadians. Populists have such peculiar targets. Women, those who are not white and everyone else eventually, in part because they're wolves sensing weakness in the herd. Doors were being cautiously opened to women and immigrants chosen for their skills, not their Anglo-Saxon backgrounds. Suddenly, populists like the PP smelled blood. 
the U.S., Great Britain, Poland, Hungary, the Philippines, Brazil, the list goes on of civilized nations who turned venomous, hating others, hating themselves. Not Canada, even though U.S. President Donald Trump was scarcely mentioned during the campaign, he must have preyed on voters' minds, end quote. Holy cow. These comments are unfounded in reality and completely a figment of the writer's imagination. And that's just a small taste of the continuing stream of pure, unadulterated, and unjustifiable hatred being directed toward Maxime Bernier and the PPC. Though the PPC lost this election, and the vote totals did not surprise me in the least, the PPC has created an entity and a political alternative in Canada that is the only thing feared by leftists of all parties and stripes. And they're letting us know this loud and clear. So if you really think the PPC is a write-off and that racism, populism, and fringe politics have been soundly defeated in Canada, then why dost thou protest so much? And this is what really got me going this week, folks. This following piece, which appeared in the Globe and Mail on October 26, is possibly the most racist, libelous piece of utterly false accusations that I've ever had the mispleasure to encounter in the mainstream media. Like the drivel by Heather Malick, it is yet another exhibit of the list of evidence that has earned my utter contempt and disdain for the mainstream media. Goodbye, Bernier. Canadians have rejected your politics of fear, reads the headline of an opinion piece by Mustafa Farouk, who is a lawyer and executive director of the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Appeared in the Globe and Mail on October 26th, and shame on them for printing it. Quote, at the beginning of the campaign, we at the National Council of Canadian Muslims, NCCM, saw clearly that Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada, PPC, planned to use this election cycle to see if Islamophobia and Donald Trump-style politics of fear and division would work in Canada, end quote. Well, based on what evidence? How come you didn't see it when Bernier was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party since his platform and philosophy was exactly the same then? Verbatim. And Donald Trump, really? By Donald Trump-style politics, he means a politician who thinks that a country should be in control of its own borders. Islamophobia? Please define that. Because I know that political Islam is utterly incompatible with the values of freedom and individual rights and freedom of speech that Canada is based on. And this writer's own commentary completely confirms that. Quote, Thus we were confronted with platform paradox. How do you publicly critique someone engaged in racist conduct without adding fuel to the fire? How do you prevent them from using your critique to raise their own public image amongst their constituents, end quote? Well, the answer is, you publicly critique an idea with which you disagree by publicly offering your argument in opposition. But Farouk and the NCCM refuses to engage in this dialogue. And racist conduct? Whose conduct? What conduct? I mean, this is blatantly libelous. And to what race are you referring? I never heard the mention of anyone's race ever in this whole regard or in this election. And listen to this. When he asks, how do you prevent them from using your critique to raise their own public image among their constituents, he's really asking, how can he respond to the PPC without revealing his own evil ideology and making it obvious to the public just how evil it is? He knows damn well that if Islamist ideology was made more known to Canadian constituents, they would find themselves more prone to supporting its opponents. Quote, 
We think our solution of refusing to engage with the PPC's ridiculous policies and ideas was the right one. End quote. Well, this is a lie, both a lie of commission and a lie of omission. To what ridiculous policy is he referring? How does refusing to engage with an idea you disagree with possibly make your own case stronger? I mean, this makes it utterly weak and impotent, which is exactly what it is, and that's why he won't face up to it. Quote, on election night, despite his defeat, Mr. Bernier was unrepentant about his core policy agenda, end quote. Well, why would anyone ever consider repenting for fighting for freedom, responsibility, fairness, and equality? This has been the core value of the PPC since its beginning, and the policies of the PPC were completely consistent with those values. You can hear our own review of the PPC's 16 policies on our show two weeks ago, and we applauded every one of them. If there are leaders who should repent for their philosophies and ideas, I would put Trudeau, Singh, Scheer, and May at the top of the list. Quote, he proclaimed that the PPC had laid down the groundwork to confront, quote, quote, unquote, uncontrolled immigration, end quote. So in other words, the NCCM and Farouk fully support uncontrolled immigration. Quote again, another person in his position might have reflected on how irresponsible it was to use such language when any modicum of research would show how untrue that notion was, end quote then why don't you explain to us, one, what's wrong with opposing uncontrolled immigration? How come you can't do it without results and vague, unsubstantiated accusations? And two, what's untrue about the notion? Quote, The reality is that Mr. Bernier and his party engaged in a campaign of misinformation, racism, and dog-whistle politics aimed at Islamophobes. Mr. Bernier said he would fight against extreme multiculturalism. He promised to end the glorification of diversity. He promised to fight any motion in Parliament that contained the word Islamophobia. He was slated to show up at a rally with the neo-Nazi group Soldiers of Odin and far-right group Lemute. End quote. What, just slated to show up? So obviously he didn't. And then he says, quote, and that's just Mr. Bernier himself. Take a look at the smoldering ruins of the PPC and you discover the artifacts of racism and hate, end quote. Well, first of all, there are no smoldering ruins. This was the party's first venture into federal politics and it rose from nothing to have a membership of over 40,000 and garnered over a quarter of a million votes after being in existence for less than two years. Racism and hate? It is Farouk himself who is smoldering with racism and hate, because he keeps using those words where there is no racism and hate. Again, to what race is he referring? I have yet to hear him mention one. Hatred by whom against whom? We don't know. Quote, One of the original signatories to the registration of the party was a former leader of a neo-Nazi group. The PPC had a candidate who called Islam pure evil and argued that it was time to have a conversation about Muslims being allowed to enter Canada, but they were never censured by the party. One candidate mauled over suing the mosque because he hadn't been invited to a community town hall, end quote. Well, that candidate was a Muslim himself. And it happened to be Salim Mansour in the writing of London North Center, another lie of omission. Salim's race is Caucasian and his ethnicity is East Indian. Is this the racial group against which the PPC is leveling its policies of racism? And if so, how come the PPC itself is fielding a candidate that fits the profile in every respect that the PPC is being accused of being against? And he writes, quote, and the list goes on and on, end quote. Yeah, the list of lies and false accusations being hurled by Farouk. 
Now see if you can possibly follow this next piece of evil illogic. Quote, Mr. Bernier lost in his home riding of Buse, Quebec. The riding is not too far from Quebec City, where on January 29, 2017, Alexandre Bissonnette, driven by Islamophobic and anti-immigrant sentiments, opened fire and ended the lives of six Muslims and injured numerous others. This happened at the same mosque where someone left a severed pig's head. The same mosque that faced violent online threats, some resulting in criminal convictions. The same mosque whose executives were targeted in an arson attack, end quote. What the hell does that have to do with the PPC? Explain, please. Guilt by misassociation? Then he writes, quote, And so, in reaction to the PPC, we at the NCCM decided to do something radical. We refused to respond to the party's vitriolic Islamophobia and racism, end quote. What? What? In reaction to the PPC? The PPC didn't even exist when the Quebec City shootings occurred, and certainly couldn't be held responsible for them. Yet that's exactly what he's implying. Now comes Farouk's admission that he and his group are purely Islamist and want to destroy the values on which all free nations depend, beginning, of course, with freedom of speech. Quote, Research shows that deplatforming far-right personalities and social media channels that spew hate, such as Faith Goldie, Infowars, and others, can be effective in limiting the spread of ideologies of hate into the mainstream, end quote. <laughs> to what research is he referring? Isn't it rather obvious that if you censor, get this, far-right personalities, no less, <laughs> what? Far-right personalities? Anyone who believes in freedom and capitalism? Or does he by far right mean to imply some form of fascism, which is on the left and which he is openly advocating? Fascism is state control of private property and expression. Isn't that exactly what he's calling for? Quote, and with these far right media personalities and websites engaging with the PPC would risk normalizing hate and fear in Canadian politics, end quote. I mean, this evil and false propaganda just goes on and on and on with this guy. Do you want to live in a country with people who think like him running it? If Islam is not to be feared, then show me just one, just one Islamic country where freedom and freedom of speech are cherished and protected. What? You can't find one? How come? Quote, As an anti-racism advocacy organization, we had to think about the long-term implications of engaging a hateful and ridiculous political party. End quote. Oh, that's an outright lie. There's nothing in what you've written that would indicate your organization is anti-racist, Mr. Farouk. Again, what race? And if you were an anti-racist organization, wouldn't you be eager to engage hateful and ridiculous ideas, just as I'm doing right now? What's your problem? If these ideas are so ridiculous, they should be simple to refute. Why do you fear them so much? Because you're a coward, because you're impotent in any ability to support these false claims. Quote, we decided not to feed the troll, end quote. No, you didn't. You decided to be cowardly and avoid having to state your argument. Quote, when we saw the PPC doing nothing about a candidate who appeared to endorse limit, limiting Muslim entryism into Canada, we knew that engaging with yet another ignorant position from a PPC candidate would be counterproductive, end quote. Well, first, quote-unquote appearing to do something is not necessarily doing it, because any call for reductions in immigration levels can, quote-unquote, appear to be anything you want them to be. So please be specific. You're an, you're an effing lawyer, for God's sake. Quote, 
we refuse to engage with the party on principle, end quote, meaning that they refuse to engage with a party of principle, quote, knowing that this party had made hate and division a central element of his platform, end quote. Now, this is utter falsehood and an outright lie, one of commission, not of omission. Give us a single example, please. Quote, Parties such as the PPC have to understand that the politics of hate can never succeed in entering mainstream discourse in Canada, end quote. If that's true, then how did the Liberals, Conservatives, New Democrats, and you enter your hateful constant accusations of racism into mainstream discourse in Canada? Quote, At the conclusion of this election, we can rest easy knowing that we did not give Mr. Bernier or his ideas a platform, end quote. Yes, rest easy having escaped the moral and ethical responsibility of having to justify your own ideas and platform. Quote, and more importantly, Canadians refused to platform Mr. Bernier. Instead, they utterly rejected the politics of fear, end quote. Well, Canadians were kept ignorant of Mr. Bernier's party thanks to the fact that the mainstream media and your own organization did not give him or his party a platform. Quote, that doesn't mean elected officials don't have to engage in serious conversations about racism in Canada, end quote. Well, what they call a serious conversation about racism is a constant obsession with race and calling anyone they disagree with on any issue, even if race is not involved, which is usually the case, a racist. Quote, but this election has clearly shown that hate is a failed organizing principle in politics, end quote. Wow, it certainly seems to have organized all of the elitist parties quite adequately. And it's obviously the organizing principle behind the National Council of Canadian Muslims, certainly according to this article. Shame on Mustafa Farouk. Shame on him. Shame on the Globe and Mail for allowing this despicable and contemptible hate literature to be printed and distributed under its masthead. Is this what mainstream media journalism is sunk to today? Toilet paper has a higher status than this so-called newspaper. At least the excrement on toilet paper doesn't express hatred or wish to destroy the reputations of people based on false accusations. It just gets flushed down the drain where it belongs. This very commentary is a glaring example and exhibit of everything it purports to criticize. And Canadians need to speak out loud and clear when they see such deceitful lies levied against the innocent and open attacks made on their freedom of speech. Not one thing in it is true or supportable by any evidence. And as you all know, I and any of you who have been watching our coverage of the PPC online know for a fact that everything this guy has written is utter bull excrement. Coming up next is an edited excerpt from our own coverage of a media scrum held at the PPC convention in Gatineau last August, edited to the subject of our discussion, Islamism and Immigration, as argued by PPC leader Maxime Bernier to the mainstream media, but then of course heard by no one, except our own listeners and viewers. On the return side of our bumper, we'll be hearing from Swedish YouTuber, who goes by the handle of Jellybean Jen. Hello everyone, Robert Vaughn of Just Rate Media here. On August 18th, Bob Betts and I were part of the media scrum following the People's Party of Canada's Veterans Policy Announcement in Gatineau, Quebec. Marshall McLuhan was wrong. The medium is not the message. The media is the message. And we present this video so our viewers can get a behind-the-scenes look at how journalists, through both uh, their questions they ask and the questions they don't ask, attempt to shape the narrative surrounding this new party. Not one journalist you'll find, except for yours truly, asked a question about the new platform plank. 
although Maxine was joined by the writers of the policy, veterans all. Instead, the media asked questions focusing on issues they thought would be controversial, divisive, and cast the People's Party in a negative light. Islamism, immigration, polling, and the like. Let's have a listen. So I'm with the expert that did our policy for the veterans, and I'm very proud of that. So they are with me. If you have any question after that, you can ask them. So they will be very pleased to answer your questions. The only challenge that we have, people don't know our policies. All the other political parties, they share the same views on immigration, on balancing the budget in two years. I can go on and go on. You have that in my speech. And it's facts. It is facts. It is the facts. Ask them the question on these issues. About the cartel for the supply management, they're the same. All these subjects, they're the same. So you won't have a debate if we're not there. Mr. Bernie, a similar question in English. Uh, what is political Islam and what does it have to do with the election? Look what happened right now with the Conservative Party of Canada. Look what happened with Andrew Scheer. He's the one who want, he went to see extremist uh, Islam uh, people in, in their meeting, and he's pandering to them. He wants to have their vote. That's not me who's playing that card. That's him. That's him. And it's a fact. And he has uh, uh, Islamists in, this, uh, in his uh, party that are running for him. Who? Uh, do your research, you'll find. You'll find. Who, who, who's an Islamist who's running for the Conservatives in 20, uh, 2019? Go, go and see the report from the uh, expert, from the uh, former RCMP and our Canadian forces, you see it. And it's important to have that discussion in Canada. We are a party that is open for everybody. Everybody who share our Canadian values. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. And that's why we have people from different faiths, Muslim, Christian with us, that believe in our party. So that can be a threat, yes, that can be a threat, and we have to have that discussion in Canada right now. Well, that, Canadian can be, values? that can Sorry, be a threat? Canadian values, equality between, the, between man and woman. Uh, respect of our institution, uh, the the, the uh, separation between the state and, and, and religion, that's important in our country, uh, the, the, the Western civilization values, that's our values, and we want, our we want people who are coming here, here to share our values, and we're proud of that. And they did it in the past. They did it in the past. We're against mass immigration, but f we are for immigration. We just want fewer immigrants, but mostly more economic immigrants, and that's important. So we need to have more for our economy, for the prosperity of our country. And our ratio will be from 20, 26% to 50%. So we need to have this discussion about immigration. Uh, you know, look what's happening in other Western uh, civilization, Western countries in France, in Europe, in Belgium. They have huge uh, challenges to integrate their immigrants. I don't want that in this country. So that's time to have this debate. And we want to have this debate. We're very different than the other political parties. They don't want that debate. We want that debate. We want that debate about supply management, the cartel. We want that debate about balancing the budget in two years. They don't want that debate. So we're ready. Without us, it won't be a real debate. Well, this is, yeah, this is the influence of political Islam. And I've got to be honest. Firstly, these lights are killing me. But secondly, uh, with all due respect, I'm shocked to hear a journalist ask, what is political Islam? I, you guys are all on Twitter. You're all on in social media. You're aware of what's going on in the world. You see this constantly. And that's why I said in my speech, even to my friends on the left, who are fans of Sam Harris, Bill Maher, those sorts of people who are having these conversations and saying, we need to have these conversations on all, all, all sides of the political spectrum. 
that's what political is. And I can, I can recommend something to you. That's not a definition of political Islam. I can recommend to you Tom Quiggin's book, Submission, The Danger of Political Islam with a Warning to America. That book has been sent to every single member of parliament last year. They how all do you know that the liberal party is invested with Islamists? I'm, What's that? I'm, I'm curious, how do you know that the liberal party is infested? I work with a team of intelligence people. We have 100 podcasts already, right? This is what we talk about. We deal with intelligence issues and we focus on what is Islamist political entryism in our society. I would recommend perhaps listening to the quickly. Do you see the United Nations as a threat to Canada? And if so, why? I've seen uh, migration compact. Migration compact. But it's not binding. Oh, okay, I like that. I was waiting for that. <laughs> it's not binding. So why is signing an agreement if you don't want to follow that agreement? Yes, it's well, not bending. It, you won't have a civil servant from the UN writing all this, our, our immigration law. It will be civil servant in our country that will write our new immigration law in line with that compact. So why, if it's not ban binding, signing this agreement if you don't believe in it? If you sign the agreement, it's because you believe in it and you want to change your own immigration policy. And you know, it's so important. I said in my speech in immigration, we will be open for refugees, but we want to help the real one, the, the minority Christians that are in danger, the minority Muslims that are in danger. I said that in my speech. So let's help the real refugees, and that's part of our platform. You know, we cannot save everybody in Canada. We're gonna help people, and I know that Canadians are generous, and that's okay. So that's why we'll help the real refugees, not the one who are crossing illegally the border in my own province in Quebec. Some people would say that your policies are very similar to Donald Trump's. What do you say to that? Are you Canada's Do Donald Trump? <laughs> no, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a politician from this country, and uh, if you're saying that, why? Why are you saying it's... A, because your immigration policy is similar. What you said about climate change is similar. I'm saying that because I believe in it. I, I'm, I'm not doing politics based on survey and what uh, another politician is saying. It's based on values and principle. That's why I'm ready to defend our platform with passion and conviction and asking the question to the other leaders. I'm myself. I'm authentic. I'm not another politician. And I think people appreciate that. Hi, my name is Jen. This video is really about the fall of Sweden. All the while, Swedish citizens have been told to sit down and shut up. Sweden has never been safer, has been the slogan from the media and the establishment. And I am not here to censor myself. I am not here to talk around the issue. It is quite clear to everyone that has been paying attention that our issues stem from mass immigration. It is laughable that our government calls itself feminist while it's quite clear that women and children are the ones who are suffering in the most gruesome ways. I deem rape and suppression of freedom to be the most heinous of crimes that are happening within our borders today. One could say that all of the Swedish government is left-wing. Still, the right-wing, who are really just center Democrat in American standards, are as recently as yesterday got called racists for acknowledging that we can't put the entire suffering population of the globe into Sweden. Sweden seems to want to save the world and burn itself in the process. For years and years, the Swedish media and the establishment has warned us about the rise of racism and white nationalism. For years and years, the Swedish Democrats and their voters have been labeled racists for talking about issues with mass immigration. See, what happens when you bring in more people into your country than your country can handle? 
What happens when you bring people into your country that does not want to learn the language or adopt its values? It's an interesting dichotomy here in Sweden where we are extreme in the social justice department with the feminist government, politically correct language, and things like gender neutral daycare. But then we have a rise in sexual harassment and rapes and gang rapes on the other hand. Some cultures we are bringing here have no respect for Sweden and some have no respect for women. This is the hard truth. The migrant crisis, as it was called, came in the year 2015. Only one out of 10 of these migrants had a job within two years, according to the most recent statistics. Eight out of the 10 municipalities that took in the most migrants now have higher unemployment rates than the average municipality in Sweden, according to the same study. There just aren't jobs for unalphabetic migrants, a person from a qualitative study on one of these cities mostly affected by the crisis, harshly states. There are too many people who never get employed. Too many people bring crime, spit in the face of Swedes, and live on the taxpayers' money. Sweden doesn't owe it to the world to save the less fortunate by bringing them here and letting young criminals burn this country down. I am of course not insinuating that all immigrants living in Sweden are living on welfare. I think it's stupid to try and misconstrue my argument to petty xenophobia because it's way too clear that the altruism that we strive for by letting too many people in is having dire consequences. It is not petty racism to talk about it uncensored. I am extremely saddened by this. I want to see change. I want us to have an honest discussion about this. I want the world to look into what happened to Sweden and not follow in our steps. Now this, going back to June 7th before the election, from the Vancouver Sun, written by Zach Vassera. Headline, BC Wing of People's Party targeted by forged emails apparently designed to discredit it. And the subheading reads, emails that appeared to come from the BC chapter of Maxime Bernier's People's Party were recently provided to the media. They purported to show a top party organizer promoting racism. Quote, Canada's Populist Party appears to be the target of cyber fraud designed to deepen divides within the party. An early warning of the surge of online disinformation expected in the fall federal election campaign. But an analysis by internet security experts at Post Media's request has confirmed the emails are spoofs, forgeries at fake a sender's display name and email address. But the identity of the sender, or why they were sent, remains a mystery. Fenwick McKelvey, who studies online disinformation at Concordia University, said forgeries like these attempt to exploit media by planting fake stories. I think that media manipulation is seen to target individuals, but really a lot of it is targeted at journalists by seeding a story and making it seem like it's organic. McKelvey said that until political parties get smart, they can expect things to only get worse when the campaign starts. As long as it keeps working, people are going to keep doing it, he said. End quote. And how right he was. But many of you have already heard about this account originating from CBC News on October 19th. Headline, Kinsella Consulting Firm Worked to Seek and Destroy Bernier's PPC Party. Written by Jeff Yates, Kelly Rogers, and Andrea Bellamar. Quote, Lisa and Warren Kinsella lead Daisy Group, a Toronto-based consulting firm. Documents 
Shown to CBC News, Reveal Daisy Group produced a project to seek and destroy Maxime Bernier's People's Party for a client that a source tells CBC is the Conservative Party of Canada. The plan was first reported Friday night by the Globe and Mail. The objective of the plan, dubbed Project Cactus, was to make the Conservative Party look more attractive to voters by highlighting PPC candidates and supporters' xenophobic statements on social media. End quote. On October 23rd, the Globe and Mail ran an article with the headline, Kinsella Calls for Investigation into His Firm, written by Bill Curry. Quote, in a since-deleted post on his personal website, dated October 21st at 1.19 a.m., Mr. Kinsella showed an image of the first page of a letter on Daisy Letterhead addressed to Elections Canada and the Commissioner of Canada Elections. It's a lengthy letter, he wrote. It makes a couple of points. One, we are proud to oppose racists like Maxime Bernier and his People's Party. Two, we are confident we have done the right thing. Therefore, we've invited Elections Canada to come and investigate us. Leave no stone unturned. Mr. Bernier said on Saturday that he would be filing a complaint with the Commissioner of Canada Elections over the matter, which he described as an attack on the integrity of our democratic process, end quote. Now, I have my own personal insights about Warren Kinsella based on similar actions he took against me, against Just Right, and against the Freedom Party of Ontario, of which I am president. Kinsella is, by my definition, the true racist. He sees racist issues and racism everywhere where they are not. I know this to be a fact, both from my personal experience with him and from being a frontline with my own eyes witness to the activities, policies, and leadership of the PPC over the past several months. I was reminded just today by Freedom Party of Ontario leader Paul McKeever that Freedom Party itself was included in Kinsella's first book called The Web of Hate. Freedom Party was included in that book based on a single incident when a member of a group called the Northern Alliance, which apparently is supposed to be racist, visited the offices of Freedom Party and showed us a letter written by the local London police requesting him to go to the police station to be investigated for his, quote, extreme right-wing views, end quote. Now, I thought it was a joke at the time, but I personally phoned the number on the letter, and sure enough, it was actually a member of a local police force engaged in investigation of people's political beliefs. And the only follow-up action taken by myself and Freedom Party was my taking that letter to the local radio station where I was appearing regularly on a show called Left, Right, and Center, and which are all still archived on Just Right site. And I believe our party leader at the time, Lloyd Walker, wrote a letter on party letterhead to some appropriate official in the government for a follow-up on this practice. After that, it was out of our hands, although the radio station pursued the issue, including then-CJBK talk show host Steve Garrison. They all thought this was outrageous, which just goes to show you how much things have changed since then. Period. End of story. Yet Kinsella put our party's name in a book entitled Web of Hate. I mean, this guy's a nut bar. But that wasn't my last encounter with Kinsella. On or about December 5th, 2012, Kinsella contacted then-CHRW FM radio station manager Grant Steen when Just Right was being aired weekly from the campus of Western University, demanding that the station prevent us from allowing online blogger Kathy Shadle from appearing on Just Right. Western University was celebrating one of its annual sexist days, wherein all activities had to be dominated by women only and that included our show Just Right, thereby precluding the possibility of myself or Robert Vaughn from co-hosting the show, because of course you know we have penises. 
So in order to comply with the CHRW sexist edict, we arranged to have the show co-hosted by Kathy Shadle and Mary Lou Ambrosio, and it aired on December 6, 2012, just right 279, which can still be readily accessed on our site today. We titled that show, Men Have Cooties, and I believe that Robert Vaughn and I have already related the events that occurred in the station during the live airing of that episode. And you should know that the version of the show we have posted online includes our original audio bites, which were censored by the station manager while we were in mid-broadcast, on the grounds that apparently a single male voice asking a question to a panel of women was included in a clip. And there's simply no way to describe how absolutely crazy this event was. And Robert Vaughn, myself, and a whole group of observers we brought to the station witnessed the whole affair and simply could not believe their eyes and ears. No comedy, farce, or parody spoof could possibly have overstated the reality of the madness and paranoia we witnessed. Everyone there predicted that that would be our last broadcast on CHRW, but that didn't happen until sometime later over the very issues that we're talking about today, mass immigration and political Islam. And that was when Robert Vaughn openly supported then-Prime Minister Stephen Harper's vetting of so-called refugees into Canada, and we were summarily dismissed as being too racist for the station, and the rest is history. Which brings us back to Warren Kinsella and his evil propaganda against the People's Party of Canada. When Kinsella attempted to prevent Kathy Shadle from appearing on Just Right, he also sent us a copy of his 2012 book, entitled Fight the Right. And I still have our copy of that book in my possession, and this will bring everything into focus with respect to the PPC. What makes this book particularly fascinating is that all of the endorsements for it that appear on the cover of the book come from conservatives and sources who most would consider on the right. Sources like the Toronto Sun, the National Post, the Ottawa Citizen, the Globe and Mail, and the Calgary Herald. And this quote appears on the front cover of Fight the Right, a quote by Tom Flanagan, former Conservative Party campaign manager. Get this, quote, No doubt about it, Warren Kinsella is a state-of-the-art scrapper. We belong to different parties, but there's no one I would rather have watching my back in a political street fight, end quote. Kinsella's very good at his work, says a quote on the back cover of the book by L. Ian MacDonald, former conservative strategist. And then, get this, a quote that's taken from his book on page 147. Quote, When you believe that your ideology has a monopoly on morality, as conservatives often do, then cheating in elections isn't so hard to justify. When you believe that you're engaged in a divinely ordained struggle between good and evil, as many conservatives do, cutting a few ethical corners doesn't seem like such a big deal anymore. Breaking the accepted rules isn't a conservative value per se, but it certainly seems to be an ongoing characteristic of conservatives, end quote. And obviously, being part of breaking the accepted rules is an ongoing characteristic of Warren Kinsella. Are you now beginning to understand why Maxine Bernier cited the utter corruption that exists in the Conservative Party of Canada? This kind of stuff is just the tip of a huge, huge iceberg of slimy politics. And let me be clear about this. Any so-called conservative who voted for the Conservative Party just to vote against Justin Trudeau and the Liberals truly wasted his vote. By doing so, they became an intricate part of that corruption, and there's no getting around it. The degree to which the PPC was subjected to slanderous, libelous, and unmitigated hatred on the part of lefties everywhere, including any so-called conservatives who piss their votes down the sewer of a party that calls itself conservative, is beyond the average person's comprehension. 
It could not possibly have been addressed in the brief time allotted to a single election or to a single broadcast of this show. On this side of our next bumper break, Mark Stein from his October 23rd discussion on Mark's mailbox where he addresses a question relating to the Canadian election. And on the return side of our bumper, believe it or not, Tim Mullen, leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, who expresses some observations that I share and some that I do not. Uh, Chris Hall uh, says, I see that President Obama on Twitter endorsed Justin Trudeau while still uh, not endorsing Joe Biden. Is this foreign election meddling or just another case of racial solidarity? Uh, That's a reference to the fact that uh, Barack Obama is America's first black president and Justin Trudeau is Canada's first black-faced prime minister, or the prime minstrel, as, uh, as we like to say. If you're faced, as you are in many Western democracies these days, between a candidate who's left of center and a candidate who's ever so slightly right of left of center, Uh, you're not really arguing about anything important. The Canadian election campaign happily concluded was almost a parodic version of that. There were six parties, of which five were all uh, parties of the left, variants of the left. You had the soft left, which is the Conservatives. The Conservatives uh, under Andrew Scheer didn't run on any kind of conservative platform. They ran as a soft left party. Whenever anything came up that sounded conservative, uh, they couldn't wait to put clear blue water between the conservative policy and the soft left party. So the conservative soft left. Uh, you had hard left, which is the NDP. You had the crony left. That's Justin and all the pals he's sluicing money to, like the SNC-Lavalin thing. You have the eco-left in the Green Party, and you have the secessionist left in the Bloc Québécois. They all basically agree on 95% of everything. Government, whatever ails you, government is the solution. And the only one party, one party, uh, standing against that was Maxime Bernier's People's Party. Otherwise, it's like five variants of the left. Hi, I'm Tim Mullen, leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, and this message is to all the PPC candidates. Uh, I really admire what you guys have done over this short year, all the work you put in, all the sacrifices you've made. I know it must feel uh, disappointing when you look at the vote count and and you see that you maybe only got two or three percent, and that was certainly my experience the first time I ran uh, for the Libertarian Party in 2014. You know, I put so much time, effort, money, work into running a campaign. My ideas were the best and people knew that and and I could see that it was common sense and that people loved those ideas. Um, And so I was, part of me thought I might even have a chance to win or at least get a very respectable vote count. Then in the end, I only got two or three percent of the vote myself and it was very disappointing and it made me disillusioned about the whole political system. And that's how it goes, you know, unfortunately, in democracy, people generally vote against their worst fear rather than vote in favor of their their highest value. 
And you know, I saw this over and over again in 2015. I had a lot of social conservatives going door to door for me. We, we had a big ground game in my riding and uh, you know, they fundraised for me, they put up signs, they, they dropped off pamphlets, they went door to door. But each one of these people who loved me and hated the conservative candidate who they saw as a red Tory called me up at the last minute and said, Tim, much as we love you and your message, we have to hold our nose and vote against Trudeau. So we got to vote for the conservative candidate we, we dislike. Uh, that's how politics goes. But here's the thing. Should we be discouraged by that? Should we throw in the towel and give up? No, because the thing I realized is that we are having positive unintended consequences. And you cannot underestimate the power that your voice is having by standing up with some courage. And even though your knees might knock a little bit and your voice might shake a little bit, you're standing on that stage and delivering a message you think is important. And that is more powerful than you can imagine. It's more powerful than getting votes and forming government, in my opinion. Government is downstream from culture. And you and I were engaged in shifting culture. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. In a way, Libertarian Party leader Tim Mowen has partially addressed our listener Andrew B.'s concern with which we opened our show today, how to cope with not feeling totally demoralized after so many repeated examples where the electorate shows little sympathy and support for quote-unquote our ideas. Unfortunately, Mowen missed the mark. Do not use electoral results as a barometer of how the people in the country actually feel. Quote, in a democracy, people generally vote against their worst fear rather than vote in favor of their highest value, end quote, said Moen. And he's right about that. As one commenter posted to Just Right's YouTube page in reaction to the media scrum we heard part of earlier, quote, I agree with everything Maxime said, but I'm voting conservative, end quote. So there's a perfect example of a person who shares how we feel and think, but votes against himself. And that's got to be demoralizing in the extreme. However, I strongly disagree with Moen that changing the culture through positive unintended consequences and doing so on a political platform is the way to do that. That's a once in every four years or so activity. Expressing yourself is more powerful than getting votes and forming government, he argues. We engaged in shifting culture. Well, if that's true, then he and the Libertarian Party should not be cluttering the ballot. If you want to shift the culture, then get into the daily or weekly grind of doing that in social media or in the mainstream media, where you can express your ideas unrestrained by political considerations, including the timing of elections. A political party that believes in more freedom through less government misunderstands both. Neither freedom nor government can be measured in quantity. We need both freedom and government because one is not possible without the other. It's not a matter of quantity, but of quality, in the sense of being established on sound, objective principles. But when it comes to shifting culture, well, that's partly what this show, Just Right, is all about. And I would never enter a political fray to proselytize the way we do on this show. That's the wrong stage or platform on which to do that kind of persuasion. Political elections are the means to connect with those who already share your values and to earn their trust that you will follow through on those values. That's why so much effort is expended by one's political enemies to prevent that connection from being made. And congratulations to Mark Stein for having correctly identified the PPC as the only party of the right and all the rest on the left, 
although I might contest his notion of a soft left, which is just another way of saying the misleading, dishonest, and lying left. Conservatives do this to attempt to keep the conservative base. I recall when the late Dick Field, a lifelong conservative until he ran for and supported the Freedom Party of Ontario, confronted his local progressive conservative representative in the riding in which he lived, and they were personal friends, and asked him why do conservatives call themselves conservative but continually appeal to leftist ideals. And he got an honest answer. His PC friend told him that no matter what the PCs do, they can always count on the support of diehard conservatives so that there's no need to appeal to or govern in conservative interests. And those kinds of conservatives vote on faith, not on reason. Even the name of that Ontario Provincial Party is an oxymoron, progressive conservative. Progressive in politics means on the left. And speaking of Warren Kinsella, which we weren't, in his book, Fight the Right, on page 146, he wrote, and get this, quote, Conservatives regularly like to assert that their values are superior to those of liberals. They do it all the time. They have different appellations for these values, too. They will say that their values are those of the family, or of law and order, or populism. There are libertarian conservatives, and fiscal conservatives, and religious conservatives, and constitutional conservatives, and even progressive conservatives. Differences aside, what unites conservatives is the belief that their values are superior to those of liberals, or sometimes that liberals don't even have values, end quote. And I can't argue with that. It's a point I've often made myself. But unlike libertarian Tim Moen, both Federal People's Party leader Maxime Bernier and Provincial Freedom Party leader Paul McHeever always insist that they're out to win, not to shift cultures or influence voters. The fact that their political efforts might only garner 1-2% to of the vote is beside the point. That's not the fault of the candidate or party if it's being honest to its principles. That's the fault of false thinking on the part of voters themselves, an issue that I thought I might be able to fit into the show today, but it looks like I'll have to address that problem with the voter on a future broadcast. But that's a whole topic in and of itself, one very separate from culture shifting or running as a candidate in elections. Now, coming up next is Stefan Molyneux's YouTube presentation of October 22nd, and I really had to wrestle with my decision to include it in our discussion today. But I think it reflects the way that many people may confusedly think about the election and politics in general. And quite frankly, I think it helps explain why we keep ending up with governments of the left. So this is just a little post Canadian 2019 election wrap up. Of course, as I'm sure you've heard, the Liberals under Justin Trudeau have held on to just enough seats in Quebec, in Ontario, and in Atlantic Canada to secure a minority government. The um, seats are as follows. Liberal 156, which is 14 short of what they needed for a majority government. The Conservatives got 121. The Bloc Québécois, 32. The NDP, 24. The Greens, 3. Independence, 1. And People's Party of Canada got 0. And Maxime Bernier even lost his seat. Now, the Conservatives won the popular vote. Just a north of 6.1 million Canadians voted Conservative versus a shade of 5.9 million who voted Liberal. And out in the prairies in Alberta, sometimes called the Texas of Canada, the result was even more stark. Conservative turnout was enormously high. Support was very high. In Alberta, the Conservatives won almost 70% of the popular vote. The Liberals got only 14%, and in Saskatchewan, the Tories, the Conservatives took 65% of the vote. Liberals got only 10%. So 
first of all, for those of you out there who were opposed to the liberals and who bled <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears in order to oppose Justin Trudeau's re-election, I know it sounds like an odd thing, but sometimes victory is measured in inches. Take a bow because you kept them from getting the additional 14 seats they needed to form a majority government. So that's good. A couple of things that I wanted to get across. This has been a very powerful election in Canada for a number of reasons, and I believe actually in the West as a whole. So first of all, one of the really, really important things to understand about politics in the post-Christian, post-moral Nietzschean wills of power universe is that it is just about that. It is lies, manipulation, deceit. I mean, look, the, the conservatives hired a guy in Canada to smear the People's Party of Canada as racist and all this. Like, it's just will to power. And that's really, really important because one of the reasons why conservatives keep losing is that they think that there's some moral arc to the story, and there's not. Uh, so this has really taken the mask off you know, nice Canada and benevolent Canada and Canada the good. Because, of course, Justin Trudeau mired in scandal after scandal. I put a whole list of these on Twitter, and you can check them out if you want. But, I mean, it was it was really, really crazy uh, how, how he just kept handing these scandals to his opponents. But people didn't care. People didn't care about the blackface. People didn't care that he was the only Canadian prime minister to be found guilty of four ethics violations. They didn't care about him handing out money to the Clinton Foundation, to Haiti, to flood relief in Palestine, to promote abortions around the world. While a lot of Canadians don't even have access to a family doctor, people don't care. They don't care. They don't care about SNC Lavalin. They don't care about Admiral Norman. They just don't care about these things. What do they care about? Well, they care about continuing to get their equalization payments. They, the the uh, Unifor, the, uh, the uh, union representing Canada's journalists, uh, cheered about all of this. We stopped cheer. I mean, they, they want the $600 million. The, the uh, mainstream media wants the $600 million. The immigrants want to continue to sponsor family members to come in and get access to free Canadian health care. And people just want what they want. And politics is an amoral means to achieve their goals. There's all this pretty dress-up of ethics, but this ethics has nothing to do with it. Politics has been famously described as the art of the possible. What can you get away with? And yeah, you can get away with massive corruption. You can get away with telling veterans that you just don't have any more money for them and then go and spend $200,000 on Caribbean vacations. So once the mask is off and people understand that politics is about power and about getting what you want, then we can, well, not me, I'm an ethicist, this is why I'm not in politics. Like I can see it for what it is, right? Once people understand the human reality that you can't get an ought from an is. Now, I've got a whole book on ethics called Universally Preferable Behavior. You should check it out. But there's a very small subset of people who know that particular uh, 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 argument for secular ethics, ethics without God or government. So for, for the most part, there is no ought from an is. You cannot get a should from a fact. And the only source of morality in the West was traditionally Christianity. Yeah, in nature, it's a state of nature out there. Religion, to a large degree, has faded from 
the consciousness of the West. And certainly in the mainstream media, there are very, very few devoted Christians. I mean, it is just an amoral, mammalian, will-to-power universe. And once people understand that, then you can work within the rules of the game and, and work to win. To win what? To what end? For what purpose? Well, I've often found myself in agreement with many of Stefan Molyneux's commentaries and observations. Aside from his useful accounting of the votes cast in the October 21st election, I disagree with just about everything we just heard him say here, particularly given the full context of what he is saying. First, he insists that people don't care because they still voted liberal, but that criticism only applies to the liberal voters themselves. Far more people didn't vote liberal than did, so by Molyneux's own standard of judgment, People do care because most didn't vote liberal. Second, and in complete contradiction to his first premise, he tells voters to take a bow for keeping the liberals from a majority government. So again, those people do care, based solely on their rejection of the liberal option, but that still doesn't address Molyneux's contradiction. Because he's saying that all the voters who voted NDP, Conservative, Green, and for the bloc should be proud of how they voted, even though their ideologies are no different or far worse than the liberals themselves. I mean, that's absolutely nutty. Take a bow for voting for something even worse than the liberals? Right now, the liberals and NDP hold the reins of power in Canada, and I don't see how that's any better than having a liberal majority, and might in fact be worse. Molyneux proudly boasts that he's an ethicist and that that's why he's not in politics. And quite frankly, given the ethics such as he's expressed them here, perhaps that's a good thing. But ethicists of objective principles, not of power, are precisely what is needed in politics today. And the notion that politics is only about power completely misses the point. And it's so wrong, I, I, it, it would take another whole show to address it. Power itself is a means to another end, just as money is a means to another end. Neither money nor power are ends in and of themselves. And contrary to Molyneux's assertion, ethics has everything to do with politics. It's just a matter of which ethics one supports. And right now the bad guys are winning, assuming that freedom and individual rights are what we define as the good. Politics is, after all, the fourth branch in the hierarchy of philosophy. Ethics precedes it as the third branch. Therefore, all of politics is, in fact, about ethics. And if Molyneux really believes that power is an end in and of itself, he should be celebrating the liberal win, not lamenting it, because the liberals are the perfect incarnation of the philosophy he just expressed in this commentary. Now, the PPC may not have won electoral power this time around, and that should have surprised no one. But what the PPC did win was the support and respect of truly ethical people, of people who do support freedom and all of the ethical values that that entails. And it's between now and the next election that those people should be working hard to change and affect the culture around them. This conversation is just beginning. And it has no ending because political advocacy and politics itself is an eternal process. And that is why, to our listener Andrew B., that I never feel demoralized about my own work and efforts in this regard. And think about it. Even if you win an election, you have to do it all over again the next time the election's called. Kind of like this show. Only we don't get to wait for another four years or so before our next broadcast. And that's why you are invited to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. 
and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Ah, Hilliard is nice. Vote for him twice. <laughs> Community pride, public service, civic duty. I wonder if we're doing the right thing. Don't you want to save our lovely swamps? Oh, well, that is a good cause. <laughs> Besides, elections are fun. We should vote more often.